he humbled himself and washed the feet of his disciples. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master. His body, the bread, given for us. His blood, the wine, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in remembrance of me. This is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. He carried our sins in his body on the cross, and with his final breath, he gave up his spirit. It is finished. But our Savior destroyed death and arose with our freedom in hand, proclaiming, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples of all the nations. Moses knew that he was different. For 40 years, he had been raised as a prince in Egypt. 40 years, he had been trained and educated in the latest advancements of science and technology. He had been trained in the fine arts as well as educated in the art of war. Moses was destined for greatness. Yet he didn't realize that that greatness wouldn't be as a key leader in one of the most powerful nations on the planet at that time. His destiny of greatness would be as a leader of the Hebrew people. And one day as he's walking amongst his people who were enslaved by the Egyptians, he saw one of his Egyptian guards beating on a Hebrew slave. He made a decision that would change his life. He pulled the, 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 Hebrew, the uh, Egyptian guard aside and he murdered the guard. He would soon have to flee into the Midian desert to run away from Pharaoh. It was a tragic circumstance for Moses. Isn't it strange how sometimes our most important journeys begin in tragic circumstances? And isn't it also strange that those tragic circumstances can be crossroads for new journeys in our life, journeys in which our lives and our purpose is redefined? So Moses goes into the Midian desert for 40 years. For 40 years, he raises a family. For 40 years, he contemplates life, death, and fate. And I would argue for 40 years, he'd contemplate God. And one day, when Moses is tending his flock, out of the corner of his eye, he sees a bush that's burning. Now, the bush isn't being consumed by fire. And he approaches the bush, and as he approaches the bush, God speaks to him. And he says, Moses, I've heard the afflictions of my people. I've heard their cries. I've seen their pains. And isn't it wonderful that we serve a God who suffers when we suffer? And God also uses people to alleviate that suffering. He says, Moses, I've got a mission for you. I need you to go to my people, my people who are your people. And I need you to lead them out of Egypt. I need you to persuade Pharaoh to let my people go. And at that time, Moses asks a very important question. He says, under whose authority am I going to these elders of Israel? Under whose authority am I going to go talk to Pharaoh? And God answers in a very bizarre way. He says, tell them, Hayah, Asher, 
haya sent you. <laughs> what? Haya asher haya. I will be what I will be. Moses accepts that and he goes and he accepts the mission. And we know the story from there. He goes to Pharaoh 10 times. God sends 10 plagues, nine plagues. And on the 10th plague, God tells Moses beforehand to sacrifice a lamb, to take the blood of that lamb and spread it over the doorposts of all the houses of the Hebrew nation. And God will then pass over them and kill the firstborn of all of those in Egypt, including the firstborn son of Pharaoh himself. It's an extreme measure, and that's where God had to go to get Pharaoh to relent. Well, today, we're going to focus on that Passover where God passes over those homes. We're going to focus on the Passover, but specifically the Passover lamb. See, today we're going to focus on the lamb of God who frees us from all of our bondage from the past, the present, and the future. Today we're going to focus on that Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world. We're going to focus on that Passover lamb who is Hayah, Asher Hayah. Today we're going to focus on the Passover lamb, Jesus. We're focusing on Jesus in the Passover as we hit week two of our four-week series called Four. It's in this series in which we're looking at four key events in the last four days of Passion Week. Passion Week is that time that Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he's a rock star. And in a handful of days, he will be crucified, a criminal's death, buried and resurrected. The bookends of Passion Week. And we're going to focus today specifically on the Passover Supper, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper. We're going to kick off in the Old Testament and we're going to set up what Passover means. And then we're going to roll into the New Testament and see how Jesus fulfills a whole bunch of prophecy. And then we're going to focus on what the Passover meal means. And my hope is at the end of today's teaching, you're going to be able to connect a bunch of dots on Jesus throughout history. My hope is that at the end of today's teaching, you're going to see how God can get into the details of our lives. So if you get anything at all out of today's teaching, get this. God wants redemption engraved on our hearts and minds. God wants redemption engraved on our hearts and minds. Redemption where he had to pay a great price in exchange for freedom. Redemption. Today you're going to see that God's timing in our lives is perfect, that nothing happens by chance and circumstance. So what we're going to do is we're going to start out in Exodus chapter 12. Turn in your Bibles to Exodus 12. We're going to look at the first five verses, and let me set the scene for what's going on. Moses has delivered ten warnings to Pharaoh, and now God is getting ready to take the firstborn of all of Egypt. And, and so God is talking to Moses and his brother Aaron, and explaining what they need to do to protect themselves. I'm using the New American Standard Bible. It's a word-for-word translation from, from Hebrew and Greek. That's going to be important today. Stay with me on this, okay? Now, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It's to be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves. According to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Your lamb shall be an unblemished male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. So in the Hebrew nation, they have a different calendar than we have. Their first month is not January. Their first month is a month called Nisan. We're going to be interactive here today. The month of Nisan. Say it with me, Nisan. 
yeah, it's think Pathfinder. It's the first month of the year, and it equates to April-ish time frame. So uh, what God says is on the 10th of that month, you're supposed to take an unblemished lamb, a male lamb. Okay, let's keep on going, verses 6 and 7. You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Twilight's late afternoon. Tradition would have twilight being about 3 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat. So the Israelites would understand from the start that there would have to be a substitute for them so they could be set free. It would have to be an innocent substitute and a life would have to be taken. So what God says is on the 10th of what month? Nisan, all right, you guys are awake, good. The 10th of April, you're going to take a sheep, a lamb, and you're going to set it apart. And what we'd see in later passages, you'd inspect it for four days. And then on the 14th at twilight, you're going to sacrifice that lamb. That first Passover, what they're going to do is they're going to have a bowl of the lamb's blood, and they're going to take these hyssop branches, and they're going to paint it, that blood, on their doorposts. And that gives them protection as God passes over them. Okay, skip to verse 11. Because now God talks about the dinner and the lamb. And thank you for your grace as we set up today's teaching. Stay with me. It's all going to make sense in a couple minutes. Now you shall eat it in this manner. With your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So this first Passover, they're going to eat it standing up. Because when God comes in and he passes over them and he kills the firstborn of Egypt, all craziness is going to break loose. They're going to have to get out fast. So they eat it standing up, and they're going to repeat this every year because God wants redemption engraved on our hearts and minds. Later, he'd say Passover, the Lord's Passover, is going to be one of many celebrations, seven celebrations total. These celebrations are very important with our story today. So skip to Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. As we set this up, the Lord spoke again to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, The Lord's appointed times, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations, my appointed times are these. And then God lays out seven different festivals that the Israelites are supposed to have every year. And those festivals are very important because they're appointments. Festivals are God's appointed times or appointments. What God says is seven times a year, you got a divine appointment with me. I'm going to show up, and I expect you to show up. So it's like me when I call Peace Health, and I want a doctor's appointment. I say, I call the doctor, and, and I expect him to show up or her to show up, and she expects me to show up. These are divine appointments. All right, last big weird verse before we roll into the teaching. Leviticus 23, skip to verses 4 through 6. God's talking about the specific festivals or feasts. These are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the times appointed for them. In the first month, what's the first month? Awesome. On the 14th day of the month at twilight, which is the end of the day, late afternoon, this is the Lord's Passover. Then on the 15th day of the same month, there is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. For seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. So God sets up a divine appointment each year for his people. And that one, one of those divine appointments is Passover. So on the 10th of April-ish, they're supposed to get a, a lamb. They inspect it for four days. 
And then on the 14th at twilight, they sacrificed that lamb. Later, God would give them more instructions on something they need to do that's very important in our story today. He would tell them that they would need to go into their house and clean their house of anything leaven. Leaven is yeast. And yeast in the Bible represents sin. And on that first Passover, because they had to get out of town so quickly, he had to make bread. And that bread was unleavened bread. It's a flat bread. It's, it's made out of water and it's made out of flour. You can cook it quickly on a fire. There's no yeast in it because it takes time for yeast to rise. And as that yeast rises and gets bigger, in a way it could be like sin in our lives. It can get bigger and it can overcome us. So he wants them to clean their houses during that time frame. It's where we get the term spring cleaning because it's April time frame. Okay, one last point of geekdom. Stay with me. God says, these are the appointed times of the Lord, holy convocations. This word convocation is important in our story today too. Convocation, the, the Hebrew word is mekra. Say it with me, mekra. Mekra, it's fun. It's like MacGyver. Hey, lad. Mekra. Mekra means dress rehearsal. And what God's saying is, seven times a year, I got a divine appointment with you, and I expect you to show up. And every time I have one of these, this is going to be a dress rehearsal. You see, convocations are dress rehearsals for the real thing. They're dress rehearsals that point to the main act, the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And God would have them do this every single year. And the reason why is he would want them to remember the price for redemption. He would want them to remember redemption because he wants redemption engraved on our hearts and minds. And the Israelites would do this over and over. The Passover meal was very important. Passover preparation was important, but the meal itself was very important because the Passover meal was a reminder of the past. It was fellowship in the present, but it was also hope for the future. Okay, so let's start connecting the dots here. First Passover occurs. 1,500 years later, Jesus is born. And 30 years after Jesus is born, he begins what we call his earthly ministry. He goes to the Jordan River. He's baptized by John the Baptizer in the Jordan River. He comes up out of the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon his shoulders like a dove. And God affirms Jesus as his messenger, as his son. God says, this is my son with whom I'm pleased or I am well pleased. Jesus is then led out in the desert for 40 days where he's tempted, and he defeats those temptations, and he begins what we call his earthly ministry. For three years and, and, and some change, he would show that he and, the God, he and God the Father are one. For three years and some change, he would show that he is Hayah, Asher Hayah. 1,500 years earlier, God would say this to Moses. 1,500 years later, God will be what he will be in Jesus 100% man, 100% God. Now we pick up our story in Luke 19. And in Luke 19, we see Jesus, it's at the end of his earthly ministry. He's coming into Jerusalem, and it's Passion Week. And Passion Week means he has a handful of days before he's going to go to the cross. Luke 19, verses 37 to 38. Now he's coming into town. It's the beginning of the Passover season. Biblical scholars have sparred for centuries on what days things occur. But through the biblical accounts, we can see that Jesus comes into town on either Nisan 9 or 10. It's at that time frame. Okay, Jesus is coming into town, into Jerusalem. He's riding on the back of a donkey. He is a rock star. Look at verses 37 and 38. As soon as he, Jesus, 
was approaching near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, shouting, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Jesus right here is fulfilling prophecy from 15, or 500 years earlier when the prophet Zechariah would say that your king arrives on a colt. Your king of salvation arrives on the back of a colt. Now, Jesus is coming into town, and they're singing these words out of Psalm 118. During the Passover season, the Jewish people would sing six psalms, 113 to 118. And Psalm 118, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They're singing those words. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem, and in Jesus' time, Jerusalem had about 600,000 people in it. But during the Passover season... Everybody would come from, from regions all over the place and, and come into Jerusalem. And the population would swell to about two and a half million people during the Passover celebration. So during that Passover celebration, remember, on the 10th of Nisan, you're supposed to get, get a lamb. And so they would sacrifice a bunch of lambs. The, the Jewish people had a, there was a, a mathematical formula they would figure out, and it would be about 250,000 lambs that would need to be sacrificed for two and a half million people. So on Nisan 10, April 10th, the high priest, the head of all of the Jewish people, would go and take one of these lambs. Oh, by the way, I forgot those lambs. They're raised in Bethlehem. Where's Jesus from? Bethlehem. That's just coincidence. So he'd go and get one of these lambs, and he'd take it to a part of the temple where it would be inspected for four days. And as he's walking with this lamb and taking it to make sure it's an unblemished lamb, a lamb without spots, he'd be singing Psalms 113 to 118. It's called the Hallel. It's where we get the word hallelujah. And part of that would be those same words, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, 1,500 years of divine appointments, 1,500 years of dress rehearsals, and what we see now, it's the real thing. And so Jesus comes into town, he's a rock star, and then he leaves town. He then comes back the next day, and Jesus is Jewish, and he's a rabbi. So where's a Jewish rabbi supposed to go during Passover in Jerusalem? He's going to go to the temple. And when he gets to the temple, it's a Jesus freak-out session. He gets extremely angered at what he sees because the Jewish leadership have allowed a specific part of the temple to be turned into a farmer's market. And it's not a farmer's market where they sell t-shirts like, you know, Passover, year zero, I was there. It's more of a farmer's market where they would rip people off. They would be having uh, money exchanges where they would rip off the poor people. They'd be selling things for, for exorbitant prices, and Jesus gets upset. He overturns the tables. He makes whips out of stuff. He's cracking the whip, and, and, and what, is, what is he doing? Well, let's see. Skip to verses 45 and 46. Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who were selling, saying to them, It is written, and my house shall be a house of prayer, but you made it a robber's den. So he comes into this place and he's cleaning house. Because remember, it's a Passover season. And that time between the 10th and 14th, what do you, what do you got to do to your house? You got to clean your house. He's cleaning his father's house of the leaven the proverbial yeast, the sin that's going on in his father's house. And this is now a real thing. This is no dress rehearsal. This will be the last sacrifice of the Passover lamb. So what I want to do 
is I want to shift gears now. Um, I want to shift gears into this thing called the Lord's Supper because now Jesus leaves town and he comes back in a couple days later. And when he comes in, he's getting ready for that Passover celebration. Within hours, he's going to be going to the cross. So he talks to two of his favorite disciples, Peter and John. He gives them an address of a place to go to where they're going to prepare the Passover meal. So Peter and John do that. Let's talk about what they would do. They'd go to this house, this upper room, and the first thing they would do is they'd make sure that that house is clean, that, the, that there's no leaven in the house. And then they'd prepare the Passover meal. The Passover meal was a, a lengthy ordeal. During the Passover meal, the head of the house and in the Lord's Supper, Jesus would, would tell the Exodus story. He would walk through all of the traditions that they have because, again, Jesus was Jewish and there were many great traditions of those times. They'd tell the Exodus story, they'd eat the meal, they'd drink wine. It would be a very uh, joyful as well as somber time because they'd remember a lot of things. Now, the gospel accounts are pretty skimpy on what happened within the Lord's Supper. But we can infer a lot of things. We can assume a lot of things because, as I said, Jesus was Jewish. And during this time, the Passover meal looked a little bit like this. They had four basic ingredients or four parts to the meal that they, uh, that they partook in. The first, of all, first part was bitter herbs, spices, parsley, and a, a little bowl of salt water. Each thing had symbolism. The bitter herbs symbolized their bitterness of being in bondage where they they couldn't worship God. They couldn't make sacrifices to God. The parsley or the lettuce looked a lot like our romaine lettuce, and it represented a couple things. First of all, it represented a new life, but it also represented those hyssop branches that they'd have to dip into the blood, into the bowl that had the blood of the lamb that they'd paint on their doorsteps. And then the salt water represented tears, tears shed during bondage. They would eat the unleavened bread because remember that first Passover, God said, you're going to eat this unleavened bread. You've got to make it fast. It's made out of water and flour. And then they'd have lamb. And we know that the lamb would point to the sacrifice needed so they could be free. And then last but not least, they would have wine. The wine represented both joy and blood. The gospel accounts have two glasses of wine or two cups of wine and unleavened bread mentioned. But as I said, we can assume a a traditional Passover meal from that time. So the Passover meal at that time consisted of those four things, and the wine would be poured into four cups. And those four cups represent a fourfold promise God had given his people about the coming Messiah as well as about him. That promise is found in Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. Let's look at this and pull apart these cups because it plays a part in what we do today with communion. It plays a part in our lives as Christ followers. Exodus 6, verse 6. Say, therefore, to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So the promise, the first promise is in this first cup. It's the cup of sanctification. God promises that he will sanctify his people. That's a big church word. It simply means he will set them apart. He will set them apart. So what happens is Jesus would would begin the meal. He'd bless everything, and they would do a traditional washing. Well, they would usually traditionally wash their hands, but as we know from last week's teaching with Pastor Bob, he humbled himself and he gave a washing of their feet, something unheard of. This is something that not even a slave was allowed to do. It was such a lowly thing. And they would pray and then they would take 
this first cup and drink the first cup, the cup of sanctification. Back to Exodus 6. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I'm the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And here's the second promise. And I will deliver you from their bondage. So the second cup is the cup of deliverance. And what they would do is they would eat all those herbs and the parsley, they dip it in the salt water, everything having symbolism. And they would pour wine into this second cup, this cup of deliverance. And Jesus then would tell, as the head of the house, as the, the senior person in the house, he'd tell the Exodus story. And as he's telling the story, he would dip his fingers into the cup and put a drop of the red wine on the table for each plague. Because remember, it stands for joy, but also for blood. And as he tells the Exodus story, when, by the time he gets to that 10th plague, he puts two drops on the table, one to recognize the plague in the Exodus story, but the other to recognize the loss, the great loss that the Egyptian people had. God wanted his people to feel empathy for others so they would remember that. So they'd sing Psalms 113, 114, because that's those six, part of those six Psalms, and then they'd partake in the meal. Let's keep on going. Back to verse 6. Say, therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I, I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. And at this time, they take cup three. Cup three is the cup of redemption. And with this, what they would do is they'd partake of the entire meal. They would take this bread and they'd dip it into one another's cups and in the gospel accounts, just speculation here, but I wonder when Judas dipped that bread into Jesus' cup and Jesus is looking at this meal, I wonder if he saw that, that, that bowl of salt water and inside he had those tears shed for someone he loved who would betray him. So they'd eat the meal, they'd break the bread, they'd do all these things and then they'd drink that third cup. Verse 7, and let's look at the fourth promise. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The meal would be done at this time, and they'd take this fourth cup, this cup of praise or acceptance, and they'd sing Psalms 115 to 118, and then they would take that cup. And Scripture tells us after drinking that cup, they would go to the Mount of Olives. So this is a very long meal, a lot of traditional things, but a lot of symbolism. And his disciples would not understand what's going on. Let's look at Luke 22, verses 14 through 20, because Luke writes and abbreviates what happens that evening. When the hour had come, he, Jesus, reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And as he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus is the final Passover lamb. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it amongst yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given or broken for you. Do this in remembrance 
of me. Then they would partake of the whole meal. And after a long time, and you, if you look at John chapter 12 through John chapter 16, Jesus imparts a whole lot of information, as well as covering this, this traditional piece. They finish eating in the meal, and in the same way he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup, which is poured out for you, this is the new covenant in my blood. And the disciples wouldn't get it. They didn't know then what we know now. Speculation, but my guess would be that once Jesus goes to the cross, he dies, he's resurrected, he pours out his Holy Spirit at Pentecost, he ascends to the right hand of the Father in heaven, and these guys go out doing the business that Jesus called them to. I, I would imagine that when they break that bread, maybe the words from early in Jesus' ministry would come up where Jesus said, I'm the bread of life that comes from heaven. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. They wouldn't understand that night that they're eating unleavened bread, and as they're eating the bread, Jesus says, this is my body. Jesus is without leaven because he's without sin. They wouldn't get it. As they would drink these cups, they wouldn't understand that it's the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus, who promises a new covenant, a new promise, a new and living way as we see in the book of Hebrews. You see, they wouldn't understand that it's the blood of the Passover lamb that when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, and we put that proverbial blood around the doorposts of our hearts, that we're set apart by God. We're sanctified. We're set apart. And when we're we're set apart, we see that Jesus is the cup of sanctification. See, they wouldn't understand that it's the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus, that delivers us not only from the bondage of sin, but from our own personal Egypts. You see, Jesus is the cup of deliverance. They couldn't understand yet that it's the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus, that is going to have to be spilled. His death would have to occur so he, he could be exchanged for us. His life could be exchanged for our lives. That's what redemption is about. Something extremely valuable exchange for another thing that's valuable. See, Jesus is the cup of redemption. And they couldn't understand that it's the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus, that when that blood covers our hearts, that God looks at us and he doesn't see blemishes, even though we have blemishes. He doesn't see the mess that we're in and judge us by that. When we receive Jesus, he looks at us and he sees an unblemished lamb. He sees Jesus. Jesus is the cup of praise and acceptance. God, he accepts us right where we are in the middle of our mess. 1,500 years earlier, God says to Moses, tell them, Hayah Asher Hayah sent you. I will be what I will be. 1,500 years of divine appointments, 1,500 years of rehearsals, and Jesus shows up, and he is Hayah, Asher, Hayah. So that evening, they go to the Mount of Olives, and at the Mount of Olives, Jesus is betrayed. And Jesus goes through six trials, and at the end of that sixth trial, sixth trial, Pontius Pilate 
declares that he is innocent, a lamb without blemish, if you will. Now it's the 14th of Nisan. And in the morning of the 14th of Nisan, the day that you would slay the Passover lamb, Jesus is nailed to the cross. And at that same time, the high priest in the morning of the 14th of Nisan would grab that lamb that's been inspected for four days and he binds the lamb to a sacrifice altar. Six hours later, Scripture tells us at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, at twilight on Nisan 14, Jesus is crucified. He breathes his last breath, and he says three words, it is finished. Meanwhile, at the temple, at twilight that same afternoon, the high priest goes and he sacrifices that lamb, and he says three words according to tradition, it is finished. It's not coincidence. We can connect the dots. We can see all of this now. Hindsight is 2020. 1,500 years of dress rehearsals complete. And God wants us to remember that. He wants us to have redemption engraved on our hearts and our minds. And you may be saying, Kip, this is all great information. I really appreciate it. It'll help me out if, if for some weird reason I'd ever played Bible trivia. But you don't know what's going on in my life right now. You don't know the suffering I am going through right now. I came to church for a word, and I get a history lesson. That's fair. It's fair to, to actually say that. Let me ask you a few questions. Don't you think that if God is powerful enough to deliver his people from the hands of Pharaoh, that he is powerful enough to deliver you from whatever you're going on whatever is going on in your life right now? Don't you think if God got into the details of history like he did with this, that he's able to get into the details of your life? And don't you think that if God had divine appointments for 1,500 years with his people, that we're told that when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as our Savior and Lord, that Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit so we have access to God 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and God has divine appointments laid on for us every single day through people and through circumstances? See, Jesus is the Passover lamb. And so now, there's no need for us to, to celebrate Passover as a church. What we do is we celebrate communion. If a Christ follower wants to celebrate Jesus in the Passover, that's fine. But what we do as a body of Christ is we remember, we celebrate what Jesus has done. And at this time, what I'd like to do, we're going to take communion together here and in Skagit and Boca Raton. We're going to take communion together. I'd like the ushers to come forward and pass out the elements. And as I pass out the elements, I want to explain what's going to happen. You've seen all of this symbology, and it's important to rem remember his body, the bread, his blood, the wine. His body, the bread, broken for us. His blood, the wine, spilled for us. And the ushers are now passing out the elements, and I want you to take the elements. And as you take the elements, before you, 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 you partake of the elements, I want you to ask yourself a few questions. First of all, ask yourself, is there any area in my life where I need deliverance? Is there any area in my life 
in which I need God to get involved, to get me out of whatever that mess is, to, 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 to get my heart out of an ugliness. Where do I need deliverance in my life? Second thing, ask yourself, is there any place in my life where I need God to get into the details? And I don't know what it is. It may be an addiction. It may be a relationship issue. It may be something like fear. It could be a financial issue. I don't know what it is. Only you know what that is. God can get into those details. This is a divine appointment with your maker. Before you take the elements, ask yourself those questions. And then before you take the elements, say, Jesus, I trust you. Please get into the details of my life. Thank you. Amen. Ron and the team is going to be playing, and then at a, a given point, he will ask you to stand. Please remain seated until he asks you to stand. Then I'll come up and close our service.